Welcome to Risking Old Age in America. The 76 million baby boomers in the United States are getting older. Are we ready? We talk with thought leaders, professional advisors, and others with deep understanding of the generational challenges for both individuals and for the nation. Now here's your host, elder law and long-term care expert, Harry Margolis. Hello, everybody. Good to talk to you again, and I'm delighted that we have today with us Angie Chen, who's a research economist at the Center for Retirement Research at Boston College. And uh, she and the center have done a lot of work on the really financial status of baby boomers and what we can expect in the future and also what we can expect in terms of long-term care needs in the future. And those are going to be our topics today. Uh, welcome, Angie. Happy to be here. So, so getting right into it, is the likelihood that baby boomers are, are going to need long-term care during their lives? Yeah. So I think it's really important to define what we mean by care in this situation. So most retirees will need some sort of help as they get older. But that can range dramatically from needing help with um, getting groceries or managing some of their bank accounts every once in a while to, I think, what a lot of Fear, which is the dementia Alzheimer's cases where they need around the clock care for many, many, many years. Right. And so about 80% of older adults will need some sort of care that ranges that broad spectrum, but only about a quarter of households will need that, that really intense care for more than three years. That's, so that's still a lot. If it's a that's quarter. still a lot. Yes. That yeah. is still a lot, but it's, it's not, not everyone is going to need that sort of intense around the clock for years. And can have any can anyone have any idea whether they're going to be in the three quarters we're going to need maybe a more manageable level of care or the one quarter where the care is is much greater? Yeah, and so from our work, we know that there's definitely certain characteristics that correlates a little bit more with needing the the longer, more intense levels of care, and those things include um, level of education. So if you lower if you have lower education, you're more likely to fall into the more higher care needs, and that's mm-hmm. probably because you have more physically you had more physically demanding jobs, and so also if you are from minority groups, which lacks black or being black or Hispanic, that also puts you at higher risk of needing those kinds of care. Wow! So it almost seems like there's an perhaps an inverse relationship between care needs and financial ability to pay for them because we know that that basically whites in the United States have more money on average than minorities and that and people with higher levels levels of education generally have more money than people with less education. Yes, yes. So I was nodding while you were saying this, but yes, that there does seem to be inverse correlation between some of those demographic characteristics and needing the extreme levels of care. Well, that that's not so good. So, but what? So, just in, in general, speaking of baby boomers, again, I don't know how how deep you can go into the different categories, but what what are their abilities to potentially pay for their care needs? I, I, maybe I should step back before that. We get into that. I mean, there's there's care that's provided that you pay for, and of course, there's care that family members provide. Yeah, and I don't know if you have any research on that. Yeah. So, I mean, there's so. It's important to sort of like set the context of what, how care is being provided in, in this country currently. And so family members, particularly children and specifically daughters, provide mm-hmm. most of the care. Part of it is definitely for financial reasons, because having a, a 
skilled nurse or home health aide um, is expensive. But another part of it is likely that many children want to be involved to some extent in their parents' care. And so how how finances play into the degree involvement is is sort of an active research area that we're looking into. It's also important to note that like retirees who need care, they're not going to be languishing because Medicaid is a payer of last resort. That doesn't mean that Medicaid is everyone's is is going to provide the best quality care and is, is anyone's first choice. But and it also at times means that they can't or older adults they can't stay at home to receive mm-hmm. the care that they need. But uh, but that is a pair of last resorts. So it's important to keep in mind. It's not like people are just going to be withering away at home or, or something right. like that. So that's kind of the context that we're we're looking at right now in terms of long term care. Well, and also the nature of Medicaid, of course, is that it will pay for you if you're in a nursing home and the, I know Massachusetts better than other states, but the care, the Medicaid covered care at home or in assisted living is less broad and, and more complicated. Yes. Yes, that's true. Yeah. yeah. So, so it's a payer of last resort, but then, but the last resort is not what anyone wants, which I guess is nursing home care. Right. Exactly. So, okay, so let's let's get to the question of, of kind of ability to pay and how are the baby boomers financially situated in, in, in terms of their future potential care needs? Yeah, so I mean, it's baby boomers are a pretty broad group. It covers 20 years. Mm-hmm. And so different groups of baby boomers that look pretty different financially, actually. And so we've actually looked at, we've broken down baby boomers into sort of like the younger baby boomers, what we call late baby boomers versus the middle or older baby boomers. And we do see that younger baby boomers uh, have less in terms of retirement resources relative to the older counterparts, even within this broad baby boomer cohort. Mm-hmm. Um, and so part of it is really that they were kind of in the wrong place at the wrong time. Uh, their peak earning years during the Great Recession and, and kind of never really recovered from that. Mm-hmm. Uh, what it means for them in terms of affording care in at older ages is really going to be, depend on sort of whether they can work longer or not, mm-hmm. because working longer is an incredibly powerful lever in terms of being able to earn more and save more, delay drawing down any of their assets that they've had, and potentially delay claiming Social Security, which really increases the the monthly amount that you get in terms of your income stream. Now, I, I understand that not everyone has the ability to work longer, but for those that can, especially if they were hit really hard during the recession, then that is definitely an incredibly powerful lever. Because regardless of whether they they are in the unlucky 20% that will need this sort of extreme level of care, having more resources available in the event that they might be one of those 20 will always be helpful for beneficial. Right, whether it's paying for all their care or just helping bridge some gaps or with with other care that the family might be able to provide. So that's interesting. So the older baby boomers are better off financially because they were uh, later in their careers when the Great Recession occurred. Actually um, close to retirement at that point. Yeah, and, and that's, that's an interesting finding. But the younger baby boomers who like, maybe most of them are still working, I don't know, because yeah. – they're probably mostly, they're at 65 or under 65, probably. Yes. The, and of course, yeah, if you, there are a lot of findings that if you can delay taking Social Security to 70, that's kind of longevity insurance, right? Because you're going to get a bigger Social Security benefit no matter how long 
how long you're going to live. Absolutely. But I think, I, I think what you said about working longer, I think is interesting just in terms of the, the whole idea of retiring at 65, which came about when nobody, very few people lived to 65, right? So it would, it was, and when social security was set up, there weren't that small, relatively small percentage of the population was living to 65. And now a relatively large part of the population is living to 65 and much longer. So there's, I mean, that has to do with the whole kind of the viability of social security, but it, it makes me think about this idea of working longer, I think has tons of benefits. Because uh, it has the financial benefits, you said, you, you don't have to dip into your savings sooner. You get a higher Social Security benefit. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of just getting out of the house and being with other yeah. people, unless you're working by Zoom remotely, is is supposed to be good to combat loneliness and have some purpose. So I'm wondering if we should just rethink retirement age entirely. I mean, there's not, there's everything you said, it, like there's definitely lots of benefits in terms of work, or not just financial, but there is a lot of sort of health and psychology literature out there that show that having that purpose and working towards something is, is really beneficial uh, for for health. And in terms of sort of the, the, the average age of year spent retirement is definitely getting longer. I mean, retirement as a concept is is actually a relatively new concept. Sort of at the beginning of the century, this whole life phase defines retirement when you get to enjoy the fruits of your labor and relax is, is a relatively new thing, right? Mm-hmm. And so it was really sort of in the post-war period that that retirement as just a concept really even started to exist. But I mean, not not saying that we should all work until we can't work anymore, but that is something to, to think about now. But, but in terms of for those who can work, yes. And, and especially as retirement gets longer and the costs and, and the risks in retirement get larger, for those that can work, working longer is, is an incredibly powerful level in terms of enhancing retirement security. And, and, and enhancing retirement security, whether or not you have long-term care needs. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. 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 So, so getting, getting back to, I know you've done other research on debt levels of older Americans and baby boomers. And I'm curious what you found there. Yeah. So we did a recent study about the rise of debt among older households. And that's a trend that a lot of researchers and policymakers have noticed over the last couple of decades and have been concerned about. What is interesting is that that trend has coincided with low interest rates, right? So it wasn't clear how much of that rise was because there are wealthy retirees who are like really savvy and taking advantage of the low interest rate versus something that we should be concerned with. And so we do see that there's, there's a small portion of that increase in, in older households of debt that is the financially savvy portions, mm-hmm. right? So they only have mortgage debt at very low interest rates, nothing like a, at a level that really would not be concerning and would not be putting their retirement income at risk. Most of the rise is driven by what we call sort of high risk or concerning mm-hmm. types of debt. And so, um, because currently about 43% of retirees, I think up from about 20 something percent in the late 80s have what we call high risk debt. And so that's more than double. Yes, or about double. And so, um, what, what do we mean by high risk debt is if you 
if your debt payments to income are more than 40, uh, sorry, debt payments are more than 40% of your income, which is quite a bit. It sounds like a lot. That's a lot. And that's typically what lenders would use as sort of you have high amounts of debt. If your assets or if your debt levels are more than half of your assets, Mm -hmm. which at younger ages is totally normal, right? But at older ages, that's a lot. Uh, And then if you have, if you're revolving credit card debt, so if you're not paying off your credit card, at the end of each cycle mm-hmm. and you're just yeah. you're accumulating interest. Those are the, the categories that we deem high risk for consumers. And so why do we care about this? It's because it's expensive to service this these high risk mm-hmm. forms of debt, right? Right. And so if it's a downward are, cycle, right? You have high exactly. you have high debt and high interest rates and then you can't afford to pay it all, and then it just gets bigger and bigger. Right, exactly. Especially with debt like credit card debt. Yeah, And so it's, it's expensive to service this debt. And that means that in retirement, if you're still servicing these debt payments, then that means there's less money available for mm-hmm. other expenses that you need. And the, the risks, the expense shocks are also higher. So, it's kind of what's facing the, the U.S. government right now as well. I'm less familiar with that. But oh. but so so then the risks or the, the healthcare risks that you that we were talking about. Yeah. So you have less money available to, to pay some, to, to pay for regular expenses and also account for some of these shocks that might come up. And so that really can put retirees in a precarious situation. So, so it's, it sounds a like a lot of doom and gloom. There's a, a, a 20, what, I forget if it's 20 or 25% chance of needing a lot of long-term care and, and 40% of seniors being in, in debt trouble, I guess, mm-hmm. well, probably corresponds with maybe, I would assume that if you if you have too much debt, you also just your finances in general aren't so good. To some extent, yeah. So what was interesting about our study was that we found really different groups of debt holders at older mm-hmm. ages. And so, I mean, there are definitely, there's a def, definitely a group that are very low income, low assets, and mm-hmm. they are struggling. They're using debt to sort of get by. Right. Yeah. And that looks really different from the other extreme that we found, which are wealthier households with forty uh, percent have slightened homes. And so the, the solutions for them are going to look really different, right? So the wealthier households, they might want to consider downsizing or, or about having mm-hmm. them get home. And that can really free up a lot of liquidity and cash. And we also have these those are two extremes. We also have these two middle income groups. One has a lot of credit card debt and it's not really clear why they have it. And mm-hmm. so a potential reason is, is they didn't really have emer- like an emergency fund to begin with. And that was huh? some, a shock hit. And then so they didn't have the liquidity. And so they used their credit card and now it's kind of a burden. Yeah. Um, so some credit counseling or financial education could help those households. Mm-hmm. Another group, um, they're really burdened by their house. Their house, a lot of them, their house value still hasn't really recovered. Uh, uh-huh. And it's, so for some of them, it's below what they, the, their current value is below what they purchased it for. And so they're kind of really burdened by this, this house that for a lot of people are an asset that grows, but for them, it's not. Uh-huh. And so they, so these different groups look really different. And so some of them certainly are not in a great financial situation. It'd be hard for them to make any sort of personal adjustments to get in a different position. But for others, like the ones at the second hall, there's definitely things that they could do to get in a better financial footing. If, if they're willing to do it, if it may, may mean changing their lifestyle a little bit. Right. <laughs> right. So, um, so I guess, so it sounds like there are some solutions for some 
some seniors and not not obvious solutions for others. Not on the in terms of per, personal behavior changes that right. could sort of get them. Yeah. Right. Right. So so getting be, I guess beyond personal behavior, what what policy recommend recommendations would you make to put people, uh, senior seniors, retirees in better financial footing, especially to pay for long term care? Yeah. So I mean, I think one trend that I've seen is the the lack of long-term care insurance that's really available in the market. So I think the the last insurance company really exited this this market in 2012, I, I believe. Oh. And so some way to encourage insurance companies to just to offer long-term care insurance would be very helpful. And and some sort of regulation, because even when they did exist, they had these provisions that weren't always beneficial for retirees like if you last one payment then anything any money you put in was right. was all gone right right so that's sort of one thing to, to actually have a market where people moderate income households who want to insure against this risk could it, that really doesn't exist right, right. yeah uh, another option is to offer some sort of like tail end or catastrophic insurance mm-hmm. either in terms of like you, if you were in the about 20 percent they there would be an out-of-pocket cap or some sort of insurance where if you happen to be in this group that required around-the-clock care for years and years and years, but there would be some sort of like endpoint in terms of how much it would cost mm-hmm. to that care. So something like that, I both things I'll be very important helping manage these. So that could be long-term care insurance with a long, I forget what they call it, but there's a, a period of time before between when you start needing care and when it when when you can start drawing on the insurance mm-hmm. and often it's like 60 days or something like that mm-hmm. but it but instead if it were a year or two years or something really long mm-hmm. then hopefully the insurance itself would be a lot less expensive yeah so that that's interesting and so what would be the one advice piece of advice you would give to baby boomers i think like, definitely if they can work longer that then that would be a great, great option because that does really help improve their finances. Another one is because family and children are such a play such an important part in terms of their caregiving to have a frank conversation with their children about their future potential journeys, whether it is whether they are able to be caregivers, because I think that can really help. I guess uh, related to that, that frank conversation is we, we often see situations where you have a, a few children and one steps in and and gives up their job or can't work as much and ends up in more financial trouble. And then there's a lot of, uh, I mean, disagreements, I guess, for want of a better word, among among the kids about, well, should they be compensated? How should they be compensated? It was their choice after all to do this. They didn't have to do this. And, and those can be very difficult situations. And a, a frank conversation would could help. It might not resolve everything, but it could help. Right. So my last question is, who else should we be talking to about these issues? Yeah, so a couple of names come to mind. So one is Rich Johnson at the Eppern Institute. Richard what was Johnson. his first name? Richard. Richard Johnson. Johnson oh. at the Urban Institute. He's okay. doing some great work in terms of the likelihood of needing care and the finances involved. Norma Co. at UPenn. Has also done some great work in that area, and Kathleen McGarry at Stony Brook. They've all done extensive research on 
the long-term care health at older ages. Good. We'll ask them to see if they will will appear. Okay. Thank you very much, Angie. I think that this is very helpful. And at least we have a couple solutions. The main one being working longer. Yes. Happy to be here. 